Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hunt. The world of technology and healthcare ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways, which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about healthcare's new digital front door. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. This is going to be a fun topic. I think it's such an important one because it's so relevant to every organization. They're all dealing with this challenge. Yes, with the pandemic, with all the lockdowns and our inability to to uh, go into the office or when we go to uh, see a doctor, we can't be there for very long. We can't be there with everyone else. So having a digital front door is so important these days. Definitely. And that, you know, I, I think what's been interesting is I've started talking about this digital front door or virtual front door. Uh, people have taken it to mean a lot of different things. And you know, the first one and the way I intended it when I first started talking about it was really about the plethora of options that we have available in order to get our care. Even before COVID-19 and before the telehealth explosion or telehealth renaissance, that was <laughs> like the, before all of that changed, we were still faced with this challenging, uh, uh, you know, really the challenge of trying to choose where do we get our care? Do I go to the quick care? Do I wait to go to my PCP? Do I go to a specialist directly? You know, here in Vegas, we have something called convenient care, which I don't even know how that's any different than urgent care, but we have convenient care and urgent care. Of course, we could always go to the ED or we could hop online and do telemedicine, which really wasn't a consideration before COVID-19. But now we've added that whole layer of telemedicine. Do I go to my own provider telemedicine? Do I go to the local health system telemedicine? Do I go to a direct-to-consumer telemedicine? Do I go to a direct-to-consumer niche telemedicine? <laughs> like, like the number of options is just overwhelming as a consumer. Yeah, no, and, and that's, you know, that's one uh, consequence definitely that's post-COVID is, is, uh, is causing a lot of people heartache in terms of, yeah, like not knowing do I just do I just show up at a doctor's office? Do I, can I even do this uh, via a telehealth, right? So my, the way I look at where digital uh, front doors and where uh, virtual front doors need to go is they really have to help patients with triage. And I know pre-COVID that kind of meant like discovering or discussing kind of symptoms and figuring out, okay, based on your symptoms, this is what you have. So, you know, go to the emergency room or don't go to the emergency room, right? That was kind of the extent of it. But now it's more of, I look at it, especially with the explosion of telehealth, to go, okay, can, based on what the conditions you have, based on what you would like to talk to the physician about, does telehealth even make sense, right? Because now you think about all these people who are rushing to just see the doc, and the doc says, okay, we'll just book a telehealth appointment. And if the first two minutes I discover in that appointment, oh, you should come in, like that's a terrible experience, right? Because <laughs> I've just booked this appointment, I'm expecting to get my care only to be told, oh, no, no, I can't see you via telehealth. I have to, you have to come in for that one. Like, so there has to be more thought put into triaging the patient, even into the right mode of care, uh, let alone the right provider of care. It's so interesting that you use that as an example. I recently had a, a pretty heated uh, Twitter exchange with some doctors 
who were like, it's not a failure if we did telehealth and then we have to have you come in to do an office visit. And I, I was arguing essentially what you described, which is if you knew up front that these presenting complaints or these presenting conditions cannot be treated by telehealth, and then you do a telehealth visit just to tell them two minutes in, guess what, you need to come in for an in-person visit for me to be able to treat this and for me to be able to do anything, that is a failure. <laughs> and like, sure, I mean, it, it's not a failure in the sense like you are going to get them to the in-person visit and all that, but from a patient perspective, it is such a failure. And it actually made me scared that because the doctors, and I don't know if it was in denial or if it was trying to rationalize why they shouldn't feel bad about wasting the patient's time on a virtual visit. I'm not sure what, what was going on there, but you know, there's certainly this aversion of it wasn't a waste of time. And I'm like, yeah, if you know that you can't treat that condition or that problem, that is absolutely 100% waste of the patient's time. And I know because I went to an urgent care one time for a wart and they knew it was a wart. And they didn't have the cryo treatment. And so what did they do? I waited for two hours for this visit. And the doctor finally came in and said, hey, yeah, this looks like a wart, but we don't have the cryo. I'm like, you could have told me that an hour ago. <laughs> and I think that's what patients are going to feel if they go to a telehealth visit. And then they basically say, sorry, you just need to come in. Exactly. There's no harm. I, mean, I, I can totally see that there's no harm. And if you have a visit, you hear what the patient has to say, you're uncovering and discovering the symptoms together. And then at the end of that, you realize, oh, okay, you know what? I think it's this, but because of that, you need to come in. That's different. But yeah, what, what no one wants is within the first minute, the doc going, man, we shouldn't have booked this via telehealth. We should have had you come in. That's a terrible experience for everyone, but there's very little thought being put to it because who does that triaging? Right. Like, is that some sort of automated AI thing or is that like you have to speak to a nurse or, or a nurse practitioner up front? I don't think people have really thought through the workflow of around the digital front door. Right. It's one thing to be able to book online. It's another thing to book the right kind of appointment now, because now there's going to be multiple options available, whereas before it was just in person. Right. There was no other choice. Right. Um, so for me, the digital front door has to adopt these kinds of things. And then to your point before, John, like just knowing what kind of doc I need to see, right? There's a lot of companies out there like Armada Health, like uh, DocDoc in South Asia, who are trying to match patients and their condition to the best possible physician. And that's also related to digital front door, right? Especially if you're a health system. We have multiple possible uh, people that this patient could see. How do you connect them a little bit better? So I don't think, I don't know if uh, physician matching was considered a part of the front door, but I'm seeing increasingly the patient expects that, right? Like, don't just connect me with the next available. Connect me with the best person who can handle my condition or has worked with patients like me. Yeah, and, and I'll just finish one thought on the uh, bad experience if you're there. And that is, you know, how about a little sympathy and just say, oh, sorry that we wasted your time. You know, I mean, I think that goes a long way if you do have a visit that shouldn't, you know, shouldn't have been telehealth and needs to be in person. Just a little sympathy and understanding that, you know, your time was wasted and you're still going to pay me for this wasted time. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you're right. It gets really complicated really quickly because you actually added the introduction of quality of care or type of care that's needed, but let me make it even more complicated. Okay, what if it's a certain physician's preference that this is in, in, in person, where, you know, whereas a different physician, that's not their preference, they're fine to do it virtually. So each physician to physician has preference, and then we'll just layer on the patient preference. 
So there's some patients that maybe just don't feel comfortable doing telehealth at all. Should that digital front door, that triaging, take into account the patient's preference to not have a virtual visit if there is a possibility to do it uh, in person versus virtually and, and, and vice versa. Maybe someone comes online and the patient's preference is that it is telehealth because they have children or because they don't have transportation to be able to make it there. Is the digital front door going to take that into account and route you to the appropriate care based on some of those preferences? And how is the AI bot going to manage conflicting preferences where it says, no, you have to be in person. This says, no, I can't make it in person. What do you do then? Right. Yeah, I, I totally perceive that in a good way. Um, it's going to be human powered at the beginning, right? We, today, we have a lot of call center agents who just do phone calls and phone triaging. You could totally see that that model could work just transitioning to the digital side, right? So instead of talking to a chatbot, you're actually chatting with a real agent or a real person who's guiding you through and kind of discovering with you okay, you, know, you really should be going to this mode or really seeing this doc. Um, and I don't think that'll be bad. It's just, it's not efficient. And then over time, maybe layer in some of the technologies around AI and so forth. Because right now, I can't imagine there are AI tools that are powerful enough to handle all of these kinds of things. They might be able to handle some parts, like where you match someone's symptoms to a particular condition, maybe. Uh, or maybe some AI in terms of optimizing scheduling. But to try and do all of that the entire front door, I think is a little bit beyond where we are currently in terms of the technology. Yeah, well, and I hope they embrace it. Even the company like Bowie Health that has the kind of symptom checker chatbot, and there's a whole series of symptom checker uh, companies that could build in this extra layer. Uh, it, you know, it goes back to a conversation we've had on a previous episode as far as discrimination uh, and biases. And we usually, you know, we, in the past, we've talked about it from is the AI biased, which is a good conversation to have. But interestingly enough, a human scheduler is, is very biased as well. They may be biased to the in-person visit versus the, the virtual visit. They may be biased to a certain specialist or the other, whereas, you know, a, a chatbot, a, an AI engine is not biased in that regard. It's going to follow whatever rules there are. So in many ways, I think it would be better. The interesting question is who is going to own this? Is it the health system? Is it the payer? Is it the telehealth company? Could a telehealth you know, company build this digital front door because they want to control the referral patterns of the, you know, of the patient that, that, that they receive and, and be able to drive patients to their telehealth? And who are we going to trust to do it? It's a really challenging question and it's going to be fun to watch play out. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. Yeah, and today's episode is sponsored by Care Cognetics. And full disclosure, I'm an advisor to the company. So, uh, you know, Care Cognetics, really, if, if you're trying to figure out the best way to handle digital check-in, Care Cognetics can help. Their approach really focuses on great patient experience that's taken from their experience in the hospitality and casino industry. And we know they know about creating a great experience. Plus, they made it easy to execute from a healthcare organization perspective. Along with this, they can help with COVID-19 screening, workforce safety assessments, taking your workforce back to work, and of course, chronic care management. So learn more at carecognitics, C-A-R-E-C-O-G-N-I-T-I-C-S.com. Awesome. A great team over at Carecognitics, John. 
Yeah, it's, you know, I, I love working with them because they do come from the hospitality industry. And so they, they bring different solutions and different approaches to the problem than, you know, someone who's just come from healthcare or whatnot. So, and I think that's healthy in healthcare to have these outside perspectives and outside approaches. Speaking of which, kind of related to it, virtual waiting rooms. <laughs> this is uh, something that's, uh, you know, I won't say born in uh, in healthcare. It's certainly being used in other places, but virtual waiting rooms are definitely going to be something that we're going to have to deal with going forward. Again, post COVID, um, I remember doing a, an interview recently with uh, folks at Kronos and, and and a few other places where, you know, there were some comments just basically made that waiting rooms are going to be a thing of the past soon, right? Instead of uh, having patients. Uh, all collected together in a small cramped room waiting for the doctor, uh, they're going to have to use virtual methods. Either that means waiting in your car and being texted when when the doctor is, is open, or uh, if they're connected to a mall, just being able to allow the patients to walk around and then you know text them when it's time for the doc, you know, time for them to be seen. But these virtual waiting room uh, is kind of related to that digital front door. That's definitely going to be a component of care going forward. Yeah, and everyone has to figure out some sort of solution for this. And that's why it's such an exciting topic is how are you going to get the patients through your practice in a safe way, at least as safe as possible. And it's interesting, everyone's saying, oh, wait in your car and I'll text you in the car. And, and then, of course, we get the responses uh, largely from people in larger urban areas like New York or whatnot that have great public transportation and maybe they don't even have a car. And if they did have a car, they're not going to find parking anyway. <laughs> so they're taking public transportation or they're walking to their, their, their visit or whatever they might be doing. Uh, they're going to have to figure something else out as well. And they always knock it. Well, you say wait in the car. It's like, okay, well, that's great. You can't wait in the car, but what is we really doing? We're really actually enabling communication between the practice and the patient. And that's what you're communicating. You know, there's just opening that communication channel to be able to say, hey, oh, you've arrived, great. Thank you for letting me know that you've arrived here, whether it's in your car or whether it's something else, right? And then it allows me to be able to tell you back, okay, there's a waiting area here, or you, know, you as a patient to be able to say, hey, I don't have a car, where can I wait? And you can reply. So even though many people don't have a car and that's a challenge for many practices, Opening that communication channel with the patient, to me, is the key uh, change that's happening in these virtual waiting rooms, and I think it's a great change. Yeah, I definitely think patients will appreciate the ability to communicate uh, with the practice in that manner, um, hopefully beyond just the appointment, right, and, and beyond the encounter, uh, you know, when they're at home and so forth, but definitely when you're there, like, you know, it, it's it's really easy to imagine a system very much like they use at restaurants, right? You know, phase one of the restaurant waiting was they gave you some sort of pager, <laughs> and then you walked around and you had a very limited area you could walk around. And then they got better with these pagers having much more range, right, where you could walk around the plaza or the mall that the restaurant was located in. And now a lot of them have even abandoned that, and now they just text you, right? Like, yep. So I totally see that uh, the waiting, you know, the physician offices in particular and hospitals can take advantage of what the hospitality and the restaurant world has learned right? and go, hey, let's just skip right to the cell phone and, this, and the, uh, the smartphone texting. Let's skip by the whole, you know, having to have a device that you carry around with you. But 
but having said that, you know, one thing about um, healthcare is you definitely need to cater to people who may not have all that. You mentioned not having a car. You know, what if someone actually doesn't have a cell phone with with the ability to receive a text? So you got to have something on hand to allow them to wait. And I think that's going to be another challenge for these virtual waiting rooms is what, what happens when people don't have those devices that you're trying to text to. Do you have a handy set there? You can say, okay, take this one, right? And then, you know, walk around here and, and there you go. When, we, when we're ready for you, we'll text this device. It is an interesting question, although I think the stats prove out that, you know, even those that are poorer, even those that are older, which I think are the ones that are usually targeted in that, even they have a cell phone, which is, is a bit shocking, but uh, it, it, it's amazing, right? So, yeah, I think it's true many don't have a smartphone, but they are going to even be able to have text, which it's amazing the power of text. I think we underestimate the power of text, and uh, and now we're seeing it in all its full glory. Uh, yeah, so that's great that you know text is going to enable a lot of people to be able to do it, even if they can't afford a smartphone, which are pricey, uh, admittedly so. What's interesting too in this regard is it's going to open up a whole new level of patient experience around wait times and understanding where it is. I mean, I just remember going into wait rooms and being so frustrated, like not knowing where I was in the queue. Am I fifth or am I second or am I, where am I? And having basically zero information or acknowledgement that I'm sitting there waiting for sometimes hours on end with no understanding of what's going on. And I mean, even in the exam room, you do that, right? I don't know if you, you, you listen, you're like, oh, the doctor just went into the other room. So I know I got another 20 minutes, you know? <laughs> and then you'd hear, you're like, is he coming to me or is he going to the other, you know? So it's like, you know, you, you would go that and you'd count the people in the exam room. Okay, how many are here, but how many doctors? So which one am I? And, you know, so it's, I think this will open up a form of communication, a form of service level that's going to be powerful for uh, patients. And it's also going to create a much better experience for the patient. No, I totally, I totally agree with you. And it's going to open up new workflow in terms of new transparency into the workflow, right? Like you mentioned the queuing. I think a lot of, oh, I don't know, but I assume there are, there are some uh, practices who were loath to show that because they would have a very long queue, right? I know in Canada, that's definitely a big problem because of the free healthcare system, we have a long queue. But but I don't think uh, that's an issue anymore. Like if, if I know I'm ninth, I may get mad, but at least I know I'm ninth, right? Like, yeah. and then I can go, you know, go do some of my errands, I can go back to my car or I can, you know, whip out my laptop and start doing work or whatever it is, right? I, at least I know where I stand. And I think there was this fear before of showing the patients, oh, hey, you've been waiting for an hour. When in actual fact, that actually is helpful, right? It's weird. I think on the on the one hand, the people who are causing the waits, they're worried about showing the wait time. But on the other side, as you just mentioned, if I'm the one doing the waiting, I'd actually like to know how long I've been waiting because it's probably longer than I think. Right. Like it feels like an hour, but I look down and probably only 20 minutes has gone by. Right. Like that's how it feels when I'm waiting for something. But I think you're absolutely right with the digital front doors, uh, with these virtual waiting room options, all of these now become possible. And what's what I think is very interesting is if you don't have that transparency, if you don't show people where they are and how much longer you think they might be. They're definitely going to ask for it because they go, well, this is digital already. Like, can't you tell? <laughs> you should be able to tell me how much time is remaining before I can go in, right? So, I think the consumer demand will start to really push or um, practices, especially, to get more into this consumer world of telling people exactly where they stand. Well, 
people and we'll have the data now, which is what we didn't have before. There was anecdotal, but I think, you know, we, we are really bad at perceiving time as you described. But I think it also opens up, and maybe this is wishful thinking, uh, but, you, you know, we're both optimists here. So, you know, I hope that that data could also be shared with the doctors and the caregivers, the clinicians that are taking care of the patients and saying every day, this is how far behind you are. So could right. you use that data to say, oh, in the future, I need a change to 20-minute appointments because even if I schedule them 15, I'm still taking 20, and what's the point? <laughs> and so, you know, if every single appointment at certain time of the day is 20 minutes late after three weeks, then you could take that data to a doctor and say, guess what? After, you know, after 11 in the morning, we need to schedule them 20 minutes late because you're always 20 minutes late or whatever it is, right? I mean, it could be 10 o'clock and then after lunch, you, you catch up, of course, again, and then, you, you know, we do it. But so you could just give them that understanding so that then they could create a better patient experience and not impact their workflow at all because it's already proven with the data that the doctor is going to do X, Y, Z. No, you're, abs you're absolutely right. It's going to give some very interesting data that maybe wasn't collected very quantitatively before. It was very qualitative, right? Oh, you like you're waiting too. You make me wait too long, or your wait times are very long. Um, and so having that data is hopefully going to mean that it gets added to the information that's displayed either online in a rating uh, or through some sort of mechanism to report that stuff. Because I think that it does make a difference, right? If I know I'm in for a 20-minute wait, but it's a very, very highly regarded specialist, I may be okay. Uh, whereas yeah. if it's something that's very common, I won't tolerate it any more than even a five-minute wait, right? So I think it. I think this is going to be some interesting information, as you said, John, to to collect and analyze as we go forward. But, but I think we would be remiss, John, if we didn't also add that digital front doors aren't just applicable to healthcare orgs; they actually are applicable to everybody, right? Health IT companies, payers, and so forth. And and I think everyone's going to have to think about what their digital front door is. Yeah, I mean, you brought up the restaurant one, which they've been doing it for a while. You know, I remember going to Red Robin and doing the whole text uh, game and walked around the mall with my family. Of course, they text me. And then, you know, what I've found wrong with those systems that we've learned from others, and I, I think this is a message for all, you know, whether it's the restaurant, whether it's your veterinarian, whether it's you're going shopping at Walmart, whatever it is, right? These digital front doors are going to be everywhere now is that over-communication is better than under-communication. And so being able to communicate, hey, your table is ready at a restaurant and you know we'll reserve it for 10 minutes or whatever the, the, the right messaging is, like that is so much more powerful than we're like, oh, we better hurry back. Are they gonna get rid of it if we don't get there quickly because we were further away and they told us it was 15 minutes and now it's been 10 and now we're, we're too far away. And so, there's a lot of anxiety when you under communicate. And so, you know, my, my suggestion and my learned experience here is that it's better to over communicate where you're at and what the possibilities are and what your actions will be so that people understand what to expect. And I want to take this uh, question or this uh, into a slightly different road than you took, John, but I'm thinking about the health IT companies that we deal with and how the fact that we're going to have these new digital front doors from a healthcare perspective might change how we do things or they do things on the health IT side. People are going to be used to, oh, like, where's the chat, right? <laughs> uh, oh, and, and how do I, I want to be funneled right to the, no, the right person. Like, I don't want to talk to sales. 
I want to talk maybe to support, or I don't want to talk to sales. I want to talk to somebody who can answer my questions about implementation, right? And mm -hmm. so I'm not sure how long that will take, and maybe that will never take. But I, for me, I'm just starting to get very interested in seeing whether or not the experience we start to have in healthcare providers actually translates over now into health IT, where there isn't, there has been a lot of like sales chatbot style things, but it hasn't really been some thought around funneling the right visitor to your front page, your homepage, into the right people to talk to you within your organization. Yeah, well, and they're not going to be able to take us to lunch. I can't demand that you come and <laughs> visit me, and you're not going to demand to come and visit and bring me lunch either, uh, You know, which actually is a, a kind of a sidebar. Will there be more or less sales? Was I really buying based on the lunch, or was it the lunch just a side effect and I, I was going to buy anyway? Uh, it would be interesting <laughs> to see. Uh, <laughs> But that physical is gone, right? I mean, we're going to expect the virtual. I mean, I can even see the there's some platforms around RFPs. Are those going to become even stronger because of this new digital front door? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's very interesting for that. And then you get into payers as well, right? Like if I'm looking for insurance, how do I know what type? Like, you know, there's a few of those right now, but I think you probably need to go further than that to you know, to guide the people picking the right insurance plans and all those kinds of things. So there's just a lot of digital front door work that I think is going to be happening in the next year or so as we continue to get through this pandemic. And let's be honest, some of the digital front doors that have been rolled out quickly are pretty terrible. So uh, I think I think we have, we all have a lot of work in this regard. That's very true. That goes back to our episode where we talked about rushed implementations, right? Like we need to get something out there, but you know, you got to really take a step back and go, hey, is this the best that we could do or do we really need to take a second look? Yeah, and I think we're going to see that over and over and we'll see an evolution. You know, it, it goes back to uh, workflow. At the end of the day, this is all workflow, uh, not to quote our, our buddy uh, Chuck Webster at Wareflow on Twitter, but <laughs> it really is true. Uh, you know, the question is, what's the right way to implement that workflow? Is it predefined by the software or is it flexible enough that every organization can do it? Uh, you know, I think we're going to see a wide variety of approaches, uh, best practices, uh, a la Epic, who says you have to do it this way. And we'll see other companies that say, no, we'll be as flexible as you want to be and we'll adjust to your practice. And it'll be interesting to see who wins that battle. Definitely will. Hey, thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. Find more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lynn. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.